Magic Garbage Film. This is the show that seeks to prove that arty and trashy movies have a lot in common. You don't got to enjoy just one or the other, so we will take our movie of the week, pair it with something artier or trashier, and hope that you discover an unexpected new favorite, or at the very least, you are entertained. I am one of your hosts, Nick, and with me, as always, is the candy corn to my sandwiches and milk. Aaron is here. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Is this because I bought a shitload of candy corn for Halloween and you're trying to (laughs) shame me? Corn shame me? I also left my initial draft of that opening, which was the normal O to my psycho. Aaron is here. Normal O's. (laughs) Put the hyphen in there and everything. (laughs) For the boring child. I uh, need to quiet you down. Have some normal O's. <laughs> Isn't that just what, like, Wheaties are? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you mentioned candy corn. You got it because this is spooky season. We've officially entered it. There's a chill in the air. Bam, 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 the leaves bam, are changing. Bam, bam. Uh, in Toronto, we get what I refer to as lame rain, which is just <laughs> loose rain dropping. There's not yeah. a lot of organization. Assorted rain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You do say lame rain. And that means that it's fall, which is the time for spooky movies. And we figured, why not start with the original spooky movie? No, that's not, <laughs> not even right. close. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happened before 1960. <laughs> and you might know from all this talk that we're talking about Psycho. Is Marion here? Something wrong. Your girlfriend stole $40,000. She was supposed to bank it on Friday for her boss. And she didn't. And no one has seen her since. Someone has seen her. Someone always sees a girl with $40,000. Uh, if, if, if you want anything, just just tap on the wall. I'll, I'll be in the office. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Bates. Norman Bates. I've caused you some trouble. No. Uh, m- mother. M- my mother. Uh, what is the phrase? She isn't qu- quite herself today. You understand? I don't hate her. I hate what she's become. Wouldn't it be better if you put her someplace? You mean an institution? But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. A boy's best friend is his mother. A little movie you may have heard of. The little movie you may have heard of. Yeah. I feel like this one might be on the cusp of, like, half of people have seen it and half haven't. And it's just, like, it's just out there. It's just a touchstone without being required reading. Yeah, like, everyone knows the shower scene. And that's, like, the minimum barrier for entry. And then, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like, if you're like me, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, and you have not seen Psycho and don't know what happens in it, other than the shower (laughs) scene... Do yourself a favor and go and watch it, because I was a jerk who thought I was better than this movie for a long time, until you <laughs> sat my ass down and made me listen to Screeching Sit Strings. Sit your white ass down <laughs> yeah. and watch a bunch of other white people, but it's fine. <laughs> it's just incredible that I got to witness you filling in that gap in yeah. your experience. Oh, mwah, tasty. So like a good suspense movie, let's build up to my experience of that let's and talk do. about the building blocks of this movie. You've got uh, Mr. Hitchcock doing this movie. I think this was probably the first Hitchcock movie I saw, I want to say. Oh, do you think? Okay. I think so. All right. Yeah. That's probably I, fair. I know you'd seen others before me, but yeah, this, this was my introduction to mm. old Hitch himself. 
uh, screenplay by a fellow named Joseph Stefano, though Hitchcock is just notorious for rewriting everything and mm-hmm. not right putting his name on it, based on the book Psycho by Robert Block. Again, I don't know anything oh. about that book other than it's based, like, all of this is based on Ed Gein. That's all I know. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, that's pretty Fuck. much all I know. But right. uh, the thing that we're all here for, those sweet Saul Bass titles. They fucking rule. These opening titles are the best. It's uh, PowerPoint before PowerPoint. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Very like you could recreate this in the seventh grade kind of thing. These especially. A lot of Saul Bass gets really out there, but this is very minimal and like, yep, that's... It works. It works great. Yeah, the opening titles go fucking hard. I'm sure you're just about to get to it, but the orchestra playing this score so like great. you can hear them fighting for their lives <laughs> If you, if they all didn't have to make appointments to rehair their bows after, I would be very surprised. Yeah, I got lots to say about the music, as you rightly assumed, but I'll save that for after we talk about Fair enough. elements in there. It deserves its own segment. It does, and it's going to get its own segment, so stop trying to limit it, Boy, ha- I'm on your side, man! <laughs> uh, we got Anthony Perkins, which, not the only thing I've seen him in, but mm-hmm. like... Why wasn't he the biggest movie star in the world after this? It's insane. He's so cute. He's extremely good at acting. Yep. This is like, you couldn't define a more breakout role. My God. It uh, is. Yeah. Like, oh my, I just, I, it's one of those things that I lose the ability to articulate when I think I about know. how good it is. This movie, you wouldn't, you know, the rewatchability is not the only factor you should judge a movie on for sure, no. but it's always wild to me how rewatchable this is and how much you get sucked into it. And it's like 90% because of his performance. Yeah. He's it astoundingly really, good. It feels like such a, okay, what are we doing until he shows up? Yes. Just like, I guess we're just watching a lady commit a crime and run around. Yeah, I mean, good for her, I guess. But I mean, it's, it's funny too. We might get into this a little more, but like... Hitch movies up until now were, were you know, with some exceptions, mm. they were very like someone committed a crime and now the noose is tightening yeah. or, or, you know, they were falsely accused of committing a crime and, and the, the noose, noose is tightening. tightening yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he had a lot of anxieties. Yeah. But and he hated cops. So. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the perfect mix. <laughs> and the, yeah, describing is, me right now. Yeah. That's... <laughs> it is like if if the setup for Psycho had just played out as its own movie, it would have been like a perfectly good Hitchcock yeah. movie and a very typical Hitchcock yes. movie. Yes, which is fair. very funny to me to to then see it like ascend. This is his highest grossing movie or something, right? Pro- like, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, if not the highest, at least like the highest, what would be described as a horror movie. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you get into like, okay, adjusting for UK inflation and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. which I don't care about. <laughs> don't talk to me about the imaginary land of Britain. <laughs> Just kidding, Britain. We love you. Uh, hello to our British listeners. Um, <laughs> but who else is in here, Aaron? You got Vera Miles. Tell me about it. Yes. You got John Gavin. You got Martin Balsam, who plays Arbogast, the name of our Roku. <laughs> <laughs> Named after this delightful detective. I know. I don't... <laughs> I, I had this thing when, like, I'd, I'd have to name all of my electronics A names. Yeah. And I was, uh, we were almost, I was like, I'm out of A names. And you were like, I got a great one. <laughs> <laughs> a great name in the annals of names. Arbogast. Arbogast. You got John McIntyre, who says Arbogast. And, uh, of course, 
the Scream Queen herself, Janet Lee. Yeah, which I assume this is where that moniker came from. <laughs> oh, I wonder. That'd be that'd be interesting to find out. But I, I think it was because I think after this she got like not typecast, but as the like, and we'll get you in to get stabbed or as whatever. The, yeah, damsel in distress. <laughs> and I wonder if that was really annoying for her. I, ass- I have to assume it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also having stand like getting pay coming in is good. Oh, fuck it, so, get paid. Yep. Uh, for anybody not in the know, she is Jamie Lee Curtis's mom. That yes. is a thing that I didn't know watching this for the first time. Mm. So they're in the fog <laughs> together with yeah. uh, Adrian Barbeau as well. So you've got this little trio of like you know Jamie Lee would go on to become a famous scream queen, final girl, like horror archetype, and I th- she would have been already at that point because it came after think- Halloween. Oh, so, it yeah. did. Okay, all right. I thought this was like she's just starting out, but I love that they're in they're in a movie together and they have Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about the fog. Nick. One day, yes, we will talk. <laughs> Most about days that. we talk about it. That's true. Yes, but the main reason we're all here today: music by Bernard Herrmann. Mm, mm, this is the mm. first uh, Bernard Herrmann movie we've done on the pod. I'm that trying, can't be just true. calling it a Bernard Herrmann movie. <laughs> well, it kind of is. <laughs> to me, it is. Uh, yeah. No, it is true. I checked the archives. This oh, is the fuck. first time we've had the opportunity to discuss him in depth. It's unforgivable. And boy, am I going to discuss it at you. <laughs> Strap in, folks. Yeah. No, it's really cool. I mean, I think there is, I may be poaching from your content, mm, but there, there is, like Hitchcock famously was like, this movie would not have been good without yeah. Bernard Herrmann. Like, he... He created what the movie is. Yeah, he said that, like, at least, at a minimum, 30% of Psycho's success is because of Bernard Herrmann. And that's, like, if you're doing the minimum credit possible. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a famously, like, tight-fisted control freak. So for him to say that is, like, an astounding thank you. And, like, all the big famous stuff of, like, they had a huge falling out and all this because Herrmann is the exact opposite of that, of, like, Mm -hmm. I will only do a thing if I think it's artistically worthwhile. Right. So fuck you if you don't like what I'm doing. Like, he was that (laughs) kind of artist. I see. (laughs) Very funny that they got anything done together, but they did a lot of good work together. Like, this and Vertigo are probably my... Mm possibly my favorite scores of all time. Oh, two of the greatest movie scores, yeah. Just absolutely outstanding. And Herman is, of course, German for Mr. Man. (laughs) Oh, shit. No, you're right. It is. God damn it. Find the fault in my argument. We just say, man? (laughs) I will talk so much about Bernard Herman in a bit. Fair. So let's 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 leave that that for now. Let's talk about... Uh, what happens in this movie and so you introduced me to this movie and I thank you every day for doing so and you're right to do it <laughs> because there's so much stuff I didn't know so again the warning of go and watch the movie if if you are just like yeah I'm pretty sure I know Psycho just go watch it do it's, it anyway yeah. it's the season for it it's only an hour and 45 minutes of your time mm-hmm. and you will be a better person for it that's my guarantee <laughs> you will win a Nobel Prize <laughs> It's it's just it's outstanding. Like I we watched this together on the couch, and I can't remember if I jumped out of like onto my feet at a certain point. You but I, audibly gasped. Yeah. I remember that much because I was like, "Oh, this is the best viewing of this movie I've ever fucking had." It was very satisfying. Yeah, and like I still remember and cherish it all those years ago. But it is so. I'm done with the warnings. Like the. Yeah. You, most everyone knows this. I'm the one guy in the world who didn't know You'd this. You'd be surprised, honestly. Yeah. But, like, the the twist at the end, the like, the cutting out of the main character, what you think of as the main character 25 yeah. minutes into the movie, like, absolutely floored me. I am so earnest in my enjoyment of this. Like, it really <laughs> fucked me up for days. <laughs> <laughs> it's such... I can't even imagine, like, the impact at the time. 
and you know spoiler culture owes a mm. huge debt of <laughs> thanks or, or resentment yeah. to to Hitchcock for being like if you know anything about this movie going in you're ruining it for yourself yeah like, like they okay, had dude, but like, warnings beforehand you cannot come in if you're like one minute late you will not get entry like yeah i've personally instructed theater managers not to let in like anyone be she the queen of england yeah. or not, like very <laughs> over the top you know like the actors were not allowed to do interviews mm, right because he was afraid they would tell anybody anything he had he hired extra assistants, I believe, to go and buy copies of the book out from bookstores so no one could read oh, the book I before get... him. This is wild to me that he, yeah, that he, <laughs> it's based on a book and he was like, we got to scrub this book yeah. from the earth. No Just... one can know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's uh, of the time that would have been like a move, capital M, and yeah. it it pays off huge. I can't, I can't even imagine like he ref- he refused to do pre-screenings which was a sure. thing at the time you had press screenings to get word of mouth out there he said no you're not allowed so like it got panned initially because all the press was like fuck this stupid movie you make me go and sit with the public <laughs> the <Ew."> disgusting plebeians <laughs> yeah just jokes on you motherfuckers yeah big time because uh turns out people liked this movie a big lot it's very destabilizing in that way, right? Like it's mm. very it's not an intellectual movie no, God, per se. No. Like the the craft is there as it is with all Hitchcock stuff. And again, I'm a dumb lady and I don't know like film stuff, but it's so clearly set up like the visual storytelling is all there and it's all the classic stuff of like man on the run, mm. you know, tropes, the, the the cop that you can't see his face. He's just like the faceless arm of the law that's yeah. coming to get you and stuff like that. Classic Hitchcock move of like dehumanize them. They're not people. <laughs> they don't see you as people. So fuck them. Yeah, exactly. he and uh, he and James Cameron would have gotten along yeah, very well. Big time. Yeah, really about pushing their craft yeah. forward and fuck everybody else, all especially cops and cops. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it, and it's so it's got all of those like very thrillery things. Where was I going with this? Um, oh yeah, but then it takes such a sharp turn into horror, like yeah. creepy unsettling horror Mm -hmm. when she shows up at the motel and something is clearly wrong and it's just like all of it it stops being about her fleeing yeah which it was solely about yeah which is like the whole point of everything that's come before the fact that this is this becomes three different movies in such a small space of time of like oh it's a little heist on the run yeah thing and then oh it's a woman in terror like it, it yeah, she's kind of, in danger and like she has to she doesn't know. She has to yeah. figure it out. And then it becomes a like weird detective story in that back half. Yeah. Like I the construction was so neat and so novel where obviously everyone is trying to copy this movie after it comes out, but like sure. nobody does it right. I like <laughs> it never works the same way. And I don't know if that's a case of flash in the pan, it only works once or like cuz like the closest is like Halloween is always the one that I think of of it's just Sure. Here's a dehumanized thing that's going to stab you. Like, that's the closest. But, like, I just got to get this out of the way. John Carpenter is, like, obviously loves this movie. He called mm. it the first modern horror movie. Nice, And nice. just... I think that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, yeah totally. Because it is just like, oh, here's something. We're taking these older tropes and moving them into a new framework, kind of. Yeah. Um, but and it's he... funny for Hitch, like, thrillers were such his bread and butter. Yeah. Like, he's redefining his own tropes that he, you know. Yeah, big time. That's good stuff. So, like, you got Loomis in Halloween is named after Loomis, Loomis from yeah. here. <laughs> and lots of, like, just nods like that all over the place in Carpenter stuff, which, nice. as somebody who watched 
watched so much Carpenter stuff and then saw Psycho, it was a real like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh I see. I get it. You clever bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it must be it's in the DNA of so much stuff, right? And like I I do kind of think that it must have been a this works now, hmm. and not necessarily at no other time, but it would be so hard to to recreate that impact. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because if nothing else, now an audience who's been like we've got sixty years on Psycho, an audience who knows that this exists, it's been built out onto so many other things oh, yeah, where you're expecting the turns now. and such yeah. that like. Yeah, it. I don't know how it could work again, like how you can reinvent that. But I mean, it's good. I guess that's what I'm coming back to. <laughs> it's kind of got two twists, is the thing, and yeah. like I, I don't like twists as as like a. It, it's like we were talking about this in Knives Out, where yeah. like your point shouldn't be to try and fool the audience. Someone is gonna figure it out or or like guess it or whatever. So don't, you know, the the twists aren't in there to be. To to come at you without no without any warning. It's just that like the whole movie is set up so that those twists are the last thing you would expect. Yeah. If you're going to a Hitchcock movie about a woman on the run, like you know <laughs> what I mean. And so there, it's oh, like I said, it's destabilizing. Like there's this one, you know, quote unquote twist of she walked right into this trap. Yeah. And then the other twist of like he wasn't or um, the mother wasn't the murderer. Yeah. The point of it is that you don't know what's going to happen next and not in a like he fooled you, but in a like how scary would it be to not have any uh, not be able to see what's coming next. Like this is so out of everyone is so out of their depth. And yeah. that's kind of what's scary about it is they're so unprepared for it's what's coming, an and you feel unknown, that as the audience. Like this, I no one has ever seen this before. Yeah. kind of experience. So like, how would you? Yeah. You know, you go to horror movies sometimes, and you get that like sense of moral superiority. Of like, well, I simply wouldn't wander off on my own with a malfunctioning flashlight. But like, what the fuck are you supposed to do in this situation? Right? Yeah. Like, you you have you would die too. <laughs> and I think that's the, the yeah you personally. Oh no, I I. This movie is, like, every part of this movie is designed to be something that should not work for me, which is why I think I always avoided it for such a long time. Oh, like, yeah? oh I know the knife-stabby movie. Yeah, what did you think you were going into? I thought I was going into, like, I'd seen Halloween, so I thought I was going mm-hmm. into that. I thought okay. I was going into the mother is stab, and Norman Bates is this, like, innocent character who tries to hold her back, and oh, that's okay. that's the entirety of the movie. And I was like, well, that's... That could have been interesting at the time, but now, eh, I don't know. Sure. But it's... No, baby. The parts that, like, shouldn't work for me are the audience knows more than everybody in the movie, which is normally frustrating, because normally that's just like, oh, that exact thing. Like, don't do that. Yeah, that's a stupid decision. But everybody's responses and actions are so human that it takes that away. Yeah, fair. There you go. But, like, that's such a hard thing to balance properly. And then you've got the the bit of, of you can tell the filmmaker is trying to outsmart you because ev- once you've seen the movie, like you're saying about rewatchability, the all of the elements are there so clearly. Yeah. It's yeah. just your own, like, maybe, not bias isn't the right word, but your own comprehension of what this normal situation would be that's blinding yeah. you to the de- dark underbelly of what's actually happening. Yeah. It Yeah, it, it should not work because it should... 
make you feel stupid by the end or make you mad at everybody in the movie, but it doesn't right. do either, I don't think. And I mean, obviously, mileage of it will vary and all that, but I don't sure, think sure. I've ever spoken to a person that's had those feelings. Where We've all been in those movies where you're like, yeah, I knew that this was the killer all along, just right. get to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the end result of the big twist at the beginning, and this is a thing that I think I was... So surprised by the second twist, especially because I thought the entire movie led up to the shower scene. Sure, like I thought that sure. was like the climax of the movie. <laughs> so the fact that there's just like a tiny Hitchcock thriller at the beginning of this horror movie yeah. as kind of like either a prologue, if you want to call it that, to the actual movie or whatever, that kind of threw me off of my entire game. But I'm always in this like frame of mind of trying to recreate what the original feeling would have been like for mm. original audiences. Sure. Do you think people watching this for the first time, they're seeing a movie called Psycho and they're like, okay... Let's rock. <laughs> I want to see a psycho. Whoa. Do you think that people watching this in the, like, the first 20 minutes or so that they thought that Janet Lee was the psycho in the question? The titular psycho. There's, like, there's a shot early on where she's like she's got all of the disembodied voices of what she thinks people are talking about. Right, she's as gone. she's skipping town. And she gets this little smirk that is so off-putting. Yeah. <laughs> it's really like, <laughs> ah! Well, she's thinking about... I mean, it's entirely possible. And I, I have a little bit to say about that later on, but, like, mm. the idea of, you know, a woman specifically... I was wanting to ask you about like, this exactly. Yeah, yeah, this is like outsmarting a bunch of people. That's why she's smiling. She starts smiling when she thinks about the guy whose whose money it is that mm. she stole. Like that she works for a real estate business, and this like guy, you know, fucking Texas tycoon <laughs> type. Dumbass. Yeah, literally <laughs> just like throwing money around and being like, "Look how much cash I can carry on me at one time." Putting a hundred thousand dollars in a t-shirt cannon and firing it off a building. <laughs> Basically, yeah, <laughs> like borderline lighting his cigar with a hundred dollar bill guy and he just he underestimates her so much he just sees her as like you know a piece of meat like oh cute girl at the office and like so she starts smiling when she imagines him being like she she was sitting there the whole time just i bet just thinking to herself about how she was gonna like screw me over and and she was flirting with me and trying to trying to like yeah and that's when she starts kind of smirking to herself so a little bit. I think yeah. there's that little element of like, oh my god, imagine if women fought back at like, you know, in any way whatsoever. <laughs> imagine if like the people we consider invisible, like these secretaries and like bank tellers and people, what if they were like, fuck it, me time now. Mm. And, you know, the whole this fabric of like social structure comes apart. As a result of that, yeah. Well, like, let's let's get shit. into let's get into this right now, if that's mm. cool. This, this stuff, because I, the thing like setting up Marion as a character so quickly, and then <laughs> into the dustbin of history, the swamp of history, <laughs> swamp of um, the haze code is like deteriorating, and studio stuff is falling apart. Sure. So I think this is the first time a woman in a bra has appeared in like a major studio picture for a, a decade or so, maybe. Well, since <laughs> in America, pre-code, yeah, like yeah. yeah. For for a Hollywood really? movie, I think that's the case because he, it. I know that I read a lot about there's so much censor, censorship stuff around this movie. Mm-hmm. They had to cut it up in so many different ways for different markets, <laughs> including Hollywood that were like, no, she can't have. And there were things like there's a line when she leaves um, Sam early on where she's like, you got to put your shoes on. Yeah. Uh, you don't have your shoes on and leaves. They had to cut out lines like that because it indicated that the man didn't have pants on previously. Like stuff like that was like... What the fuck? Yeah, but this is, this is, <laughs> the code is deteriorating because the studio system is collapsing. Sure. So, like, this is stuff that 
didn't exist before. So I this is what I'm thinking like people this seeing already... this like this loose woman who's stealing money. She's a true psychopath. Oh, right. she's dead. She's not the psych. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, is that? <laughs> I wonder if you just watch that you know first half or whatever. It works as a very Hayes Code type of morality tale where oh she stole God, the money yeah. and she got murdered for it. Yeah. Um, and bonus, she saw the error of her ways because right before she gets That's murdered, right. she, she like kind of has this heart to heart with Norman hilariously. <laughs> and she's like, wow, people have it worse off than me. I'm going to go back and I'm going to do it the right way, the American way, by working for somebody. And, and like she sees the error of her ways and then gets murdered. So that's a perfect little bite-sized, you know, morality play. Yes and no. I think that I, I would say it's more of a repudiation of that because it's like, I'm going to see the error of my ways. And then the man's like, I don't care. I'm going to kill you. You're not human. Oh, like, no, no, for sure. I mean, like the, the, the idea that she does something oh. bad and then gets punished. But then for sure, right? Then it's like, no, there are, guess what? Other things are happening than yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about the Hayes Code before and just the agonizingly panicked like like the the people who try and keep like oh children shouldn't know about sex and and like we shouldn't have to see gay couples kissing are the most frightened people in oh, yeah. the world because they know their position is so fragile <laughs> you know and Picturing i can them watching this movie and their heads scanners style exploding <laughs> she's she has a like she's in her underwear in two separate occasions three three separate occasions three? Yeah. oh yeah that's right right <laughs> And I just, oh, uh, yeah, can you imagine? And so it it must have been very, like, just a an atom bomb in mm. the, you know, movie-going consciousness. And I think, so, like, you said a second ago, the, like, having a, a window into the people's lives that you don't normally get, and Hitch's shit about voyeurism all the time in all right, these movies. Yeah. He always likes little peepholes looking at on things. Yes. And I, this is a, I like Psycho a lot for this for... It's like three steps of voyeurism, kind of, where you've got, like, <laughs> it opens with the pan down into the into window, the and you're seeing yeah. the life of these two people. That's like, oh, you're a little voyeur as the audience, ho, ho, ho. And then you get Norman, we're watching Norman watch her, so yeah. that's another level. But then in the back of his mind is his mother persona, oh, watching fuck. him watching her, yeah, that's and right. us watching that happening. Like, it's this... <laughs> This little snake in its own tail. Yeah. Of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so true. I mean, Hitch is such a, like, weird little pervert in, in that way, right? <laughs> but it, it works so well because horror has that, that effect. Like, good horror has that you're not safe effect. Yeah. And, like, on, on whatever, you know, in whatever arena and different horror tackles that in different ways. But, like, the idea that there's a little bug in the back of your head being like, is someone watching you right now? You know? And the the story is so good at that. It is that, like, I don't know, like, you the things that you have to just gloss over in your mind to function in society and the, the rules that we all just agree. We all just agree that, like, you can take a shower in peace because probably <laughs> there's no peepholes. Who's to stop anyone from breaking that rule, you know? That's a horrifying thought. Yeah. So I'm sure the psycho like as people are watching this movie they're like he's the psycho there it is sex crimes okay <laughs> get the psycho drop 30 minutes into <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just so funny how it like i know i when i think about this movie abstractly i'm like it's not a horror movie it's just like mm. a thriller mystery thing but like inverted kind of where everybody 
no one knows what's happening. Even the killer doesn't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. And like, so you can't really grasp on anything. But in just in the way it's shot, the way it looks and all that, like I, to go back to my experiences of watching, I yes. know, biggest, top 10 biggest jump scares. Like the, <laughs> the shot of Arbogast, I can't say his oh. name right, Arbogast. Arbogast. Uh, I really want to pronounce that bow. <laughs> uh, him climbing the stairs in the house and Nathan, Nathan, Norman, uh, Nathan Fielder coming around the corner. <laughs> <That's what I'm laughs> that would be an amazing movie. Nathan Fielder, please get on it. Uh, Remake Psycho. Coming into the Bates Motel, like, this is how you fix your business. <laughs> the plan. The- <laughs> Dress up as your own mother. To- <laughs> so they'll be excited when they don't get stabbed. Yeah. Everyone knows you get stabbed in the shower. <laughs> the plan, don't get stabbed in the shower. Well, a boy's best friend is his mother. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're on to something. Oh, here. man, right. I hope anybody... <laughs> go and watch Nathan for you, everybody. Yeah, Our anyway. finest Canadian talent we've, mm, we've, we're exporting indeed. here. Anyway, the shot of Norman Bates, you, it's... In hindsight, like, oh, of course it has to be shot from above, so you can't tell how tall Norman is because mm. you're picturing a little lady. Sure, um, sure. But that that overhead shot, him, like, rushing around the corner, it is so unnerving in so many ways. It's like fucking creepy. It, it is, the locomotion of it is so, so precise in a way that, like, you're used to, oh, it's a jump scare, it goes fast, or it's slow and ominous, so it goes slow, and it's this exact middle ground of, like, just walking purposefully, <laughs> yeah. which is upsetting. You never Walk want to see purpose. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the And right before that, too, it's done the classic horror movie thing of, like, the door just cracks open a little bit. And what you're expecting is, you know, you, you're imagining this, like, old, frail woman. And, yeah. and Arbogast is coming up the stairs, and he's about to enter the room, and you think he's going to cross that threshold. But suddenly, something comes barreling out of the threshold at you. Yeah. Like, the, the, the sense of having your space invaded is so... It's everywhere in this movie. It's yeah. wild. Like, yeah. And a sound design thing. Not getting into the music yet. Just teasing that again. The sound <laughs> design thing of norman bates comes into frame for like i think a full second before the music kicks in which is a very precise thing that i i can't remember the exact reasoning of it but it was it was you register things in your senses at different speeds oh okay. so you start to see the motion and by the time you've registered what the motion is that's exactly when the sound cue strikes oh editing baby yeah like watching it this time just being very cognizant of that watching it happen it's very funny if you know exactly what's going to happen that like the full motion of the kill is coming in before the the sound yeah, strikes. He's walking. He's out the door. So it shouldn't work as a jump scare because it's not everything happening at once and overwhelming you. It's right. It's a slow overwhelming. Like if that makes any sense. It, it's yeah. it. That's just the structure of this movie in small. Right. Yeah. It's this thing happening that you weren't expecting, and then a second thing happening while you're already destabilized. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, God, stop it! Just let me get my bearings. God's Absolutely sake. not. <laughs> Oh, it's so great. Yeah. Top 10 jump scares for me. Too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, and to go back to my first experience. So we saw this together and uh, for the first time on the couch as it was meant to be as seen. As you, yeah. <laughs> but uh, seeing this in theater a little while afterward, um, <laughs> and I was going to watch this where, and I hope that people can do this for their loved ones, 
people clearly bringing others to the theater that had never seen this movie and don't know what the twists are. Yeah. See, this would have been me, and I I regret not doing this. Oh, it was so... Like, watching the movie is obviously great, but the secondary layer of my little voyeurism of being like, oh, look how freaked out everybody is, or surprised everybody is. That jump scare, I, like, shrieks in the audience, just that happening. But the final twist of... And we'll, we'll talk about the ending now, I suppose. I'm leading right into it. Go for it. Where Vera, Vera Miles turns the corpse of Mother around. Yeah. And we've got that black stare. And literally a person, like, six seats away from me, jumped to his feet, pointed at the screen, and shouted, No! <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> Just, but That's it was awesome. The same thing of, like, it took a couple of seconds for it to, like, invade. Yeah. Like, oh, I get what's happening. No, I won't no. allow this. <laughs> Absolutely the fuck not. Refused. Well, then it's, then it's the exact same situation of like, holy shit, the, the woman is a corpse. Yeah. The, this woman has been dead for, you know. She's a little raisin. She's a little raisin lady. She's and a California then, raisin. <laughs> you just put California Dreamin' into my head, that fucking song. <laughs> That's great. That's a good song for this movie. Um, and then... The, the next thing that happens, but not immediately, like a couple of seconds for it to sink in, yep. and then who comes around the corner but Norman Bates wielding a knife. It, it really is this, like, oh, you thought. Oh, you thought. <laughs> like, <laughs> very destabilizing and, like, you know, that roller coaster thing of, like, oh, we just went over a loop. Oh, here's another one again. Like, and it's, it is destabilizing enough that I did not hear. Do you know what he... He is screaming at her when he's running the oh, stab. Oh no! I thought it's just like Keening. No, he is screaming, "I am Norma Bates." Oh Christ! Yeah, which is like again listening for it this time. Oh. It's like, oh, it is gross, very upsetting yeah. with his like weird smile and shoulders up. Oh. He's. I have trouble. Like I don't recognize it as him yeah. until the wig falls off. Yeah, he's got like just this rictus of. It is. If you saw that coming at you. Yeah, I don't know. You just your your brain releases your mind into the ether. You're just like, it's okay. Don't you don't have to deal with this. It's the Homer Simpson thing of the brain is just Fully transparently floats away. floating away. <laughs> and then you fall down in an apple cider farm. Yeah, because you got stabbed. Yep. Uh, but uh, yeah, like there, I have like survival tears pop up in my brain, in, in my eyes of like, no, block it out somehow. Yeah. Don't let it happen to you. Yeah, like really, you know scarring in a in a very real way yeah Yeah. (laughs) no i i i didn't hear him i didn't realize he was screaming words yeah but i think that your senses are so overwhelmed through the like the build-up to the spin around the screeching everything is getting overwhelmed yeah it's yeah there's no music in the spin around right it's dead silent i believe that is correct yes and then it yeah it's only when he comes in and we get that re coming again the classic. Yeah. Which, uh, before I get into the music at large... The, <laughs> I was going to give you that opening. The, uh, right. So the... The re- re- the yeah. murder murder music, that delightful theme. Um, originally, Hitch was like, no, these will be in dead silence, all the stabbing, mm. because it's. I just want to be very unsettling. I get it, yeah. Uh, and then they like watched everything back, and he's like, doesn't work, it sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Herman, because he's just like, I want to do my own thing, he was like, I wrote music to this that I was going to like force on you, but do you want to see how it goes? <laughs> and they played that, and Hitch was like, it was perfect. 
And Herman just like right. to twist the knife was like, but I thought you said that it couldn't have music. Okay, all right, Bernard. You know what? <laughs> but, but admitting where you're wrong, he said, oh, fuck, I didn't write down the quote, but he, Hitchcock said just like, um, uh, a gross oversight, a mistake, my man. Like oh. he admitted fault in oh, it. Oh, in is a like, very British way. I love uh, that. Yeah. You know, you got him. You know, you got him. <laughs> you don't often get that like clear moral high ground with, with Hitch. So. Yeah. Uh, so you got to see me enjoy this ending for the first time. And I mean, Lovely. the only downside to this whole movie, I think, is this <laughs> dumbass In my mind, it ends end. after the wig falls off and there's, that's it. There's a five minute blank scene and then you get Norma Bates' voiceover at the end and that's the end. Exactly. <laughs> but, Perfect yeah. movie. Mwah. I do understand for audiences at the time you might need to spell it out a tiny bit, but I this is going too far. Movies it's about far. like about mental illness in in an actual concrete way. Yeah, like you know, staying out late at night was considered a mental illness in the forties. <laughs> like you know, yeah, yeah. I so you said there weren't any pre screenings. Was this mm. added on like after the initial release? No, where no, no, audiences I think the were studio. like, what the fuck. The oh. studio got an input there. Yeah. Do you think it's in the book? I doubt it. I doubt it, yeah. I don't it's know. so dumb. <laughs> it's very dumb. Well, I think in the book you have a clear enough sense of what's happening that you don't need somebody Fair. speaking directly to camera. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks, but I mean... <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, exactly. Whatever, it's fine. <laughs> this movie is fucked up enough for the time that yes. just like little concessions... Give them a little off-ramp yeah. <laughs> back into, yeah. So when do you remember seeing this for the first time? Did you know what was going to happen with all of this? Like, I'm just curious about, like, because my Gosh. experience is so grooved into my brain yeah, because it was such a an intense <laughs> time for me. And, like, I know when we watched it, I still remember it was, like, it was a heavy lame rain where it's just, like, ooh, spooky out and all. Like, it was right. late October. Yeah. And so it was, like, perfect weather and all this. So I, I'm really grounded in you the experience. You had an experience. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I feel like I just saw this on a laptop or something. Uh, you know what I mean? The way Obviously, it the way Hitchcock intended. <laughs> But, it, you know, it still, I remember seeing it and, and the upsetting images and things. Like, the, I remember being terrified out of my mind mm. the whole conversation that they have in the parlor. Yeah. Which is a very nothing, like, nothing bad happens. It's just Marion getting a second to catch her breath and, like, think it over and realize she's not actually trapped in the life. Like there are ways forward mm. out of the life that she currently it's has. It's real, doesn't like. could be worse. Yeah, <laughs> truly. Like you look at this guy, like, yeah, I could have this guy's life. It's, it's not, it's not that at all, but it is so menacing. And this, you know, that, that move where you are watching like a, just a TV show, half hour TV show. And an extra gets a very significant couple of lines in a way where you're like, oh, this must be a guest star or something, or they're planning mm. on bringing this person back or yeah, whatever it yeah. is, where you're like, there's a lot of focus for this basically background character. Like if you're do watching a procedural, like, oh, that's clearly the murderer or whatever. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. There's Norman takes over the fucking movie at this point in a way that I yeah. was, I'm like, you kind of forget that she's there, <laughs> yeah, you know? He, he is so... It's so clearly about Norman from that point forward that I was like, something something horrifying is going to happen. I knew that she died, obviously, and so I was like, how do Not we get there? Not obvious to all of well, us. Well, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> I knew that she died, and, and so it was just a matter of like, is this the thing that's going to set him off that she's saying? Is this oh. the thing? And there are a couple moments yeah. where he really like, you know... 
the the coldness comes into his eyes a little bit and it just just like absolutely cannot take your eyes off of him Mm -hmm. and so that scene freaked me the fuck out because i was expecting a sudden snap at any moment and he's such a fabulous actor and like he is so charming at first he's so precious and yeah. he's just like not you know he's awkward but he clearly just wants to talk to someone and like, yeah like you know you can't can, help loving that all of it can be explained away immediately with like oh he even says up top like we never get people in here yeah. and like clearly she's a pretty lady so like sure. he's gonna have some trouble with that yeah um but the the feeling of like he I don't know what it is. He's. I'm just thinking about um, for all of the unfortunate current zeitgeist of like, oh, this serial killer is hot, like all that shit. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is where it started for better or worse. Mm, it's yeah, just kind it's possible. Of a, an upsetting moment of like, oh, this is where our society oh, got it from. <laughs> well, you read about the, you know, I forget who it is, but like specifically people who are very charming and like, mm. oh, can you help me move this couch into my van? And like, do you know what I mean? That's how they have to be in order to... That's a tool for them. Yeah. Their their charmingness is... Their charmingness. Their but charm. I, I think the thing that separates him from just like standard fare for me is that like, it doesn't feel like he's trying to be charming. He's just being Norma ba- no. Norman Bates. And yeah. then Norma takes over and obviously that's... Yeah. Yes. That's the other part of it too is like there's... She's very pretty and on her own and there's mm-hmm. this very you know this element element of like it's not this could be an unsafe situation for anyone regardless of whether there's a serial killer in the <laughs> room with you like you could just have a garden variety bad person yeah. you know but he's he's kind of devoid of all of that even where even there just would be like a 50s holdover misogyny mm-hmm. you know like he makes an, an inappropriate comment and you're supposed to laugh it off. There isn't even any of that. No, like, I, she's clearly not meant to feel uncomfortable in his presence. I feel like he's his Norman persona is like a... He's trapped as a 13-year-old, 12-year-old, mm, where he's just like got this yeah. veil of innocence where that wouldn't even occur to him. Yeah, he's very boy-like in yeah. that way. Yeah. I always, like, when I... Watching him this time, his boyish charm is just what it is. And like, yeah. oh yeah, because he's... Literally, like, to me, if I'm going to, like, psychoanalyze this little fellow... Go for it. Uh, I've spent an hour and 45 minutes with him. I know everything. Because <laughs> um, they talk about how he killed mom and stepdad yeah. uh, at a point. And, like, if it was that traumatic and he's, like, missing his mom and all that... That's where me, your development stops. Exactly, yeah. Or or maybe, like, we don't know what age he is at that point. Maybe it's when his dad dies initially. Like, oh, or, maybe. or uh, does he... He was, like, five when that happened, oh, okay, right? So, so maybe not quite. But then yeah. you look at his room and, like... Maybe. He's got stuffed animals and, and things. And yeah. that bed is like, that's a five-year-old's bed. Yeah. He's got, yeah. 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 So like, that to me is like why that he is just acting as that age. Yeah. And then... I can see that. There's a gulf to be an old mama, but that's... Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tacked on bit at the end is interesting in the way where it does place all the blame on Norman. Not for being mentally ill, but but for, for you know, it starts to paint him as like incredibly jealous mm. and unable to adapt and yeah. like all of these things where before it's 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 kind of implied that the mother is the domineering like and and he does say that like the psychotherapist oh, does yeah. say that but it's it's sort of this like well if you're going to be terrible I'm going to be just as terrible back and then create this like horrible situation where they're kind of trapped in this one brain together yeah it's it's an interesting final little reversal at the end where norman was kind of a shitty guy <laughs> you know yeah yeah like the 
for all of its narrative annoyances, it is nice to see, like, and this isn't, like, perfect, but it, it, I feel as though part of that long rant is to try as much as possible to limit stigmatizing maybe like, it's presented as very logical in a way where like mental illness doesn't really work that way but no. it is presented as like if you had this horrible betrayal happen yeah. to you in your mind here's what you would do about it it isn't it isn't purely a failing of character that's part of it that's a like you could he wasn't strong enough for yeah whatever. like yeah. sure which is not a great way to frame it but it's at least like there are bits the one dumbass who's just like ah oh, his dress is leg is uh he's a transvestite and the he tries he tries that like, little... no stupid <laughs> Like, <laughs> no, you dummy. <laughs> Are you listening to me? Yeah. Uh, it feels very similar to me where, like, again, not perfect, but Silence of the Lambs, there's a bit of, like, the this subset of people that you're currently trying to blame it on, official, is not a violent subset of people. These are not associated. Like, mm. just a bit of, like, no, transvestites, as they would say oh, at the time, I wonder. don't do that. This is something entirely different that you've never heard of before. That does seem like a very deliberate, and we're not trying to say that men who wear dresses are evil. Yeah, yeah very in the text of it. That's, like, my reading of that, which, yeah. I mean... Charitable. Yeah. Uh, but sure. That's my, I'm choosing this to be my one charitable thing, not be cynical about. As I <laughs> In the 50s, yeah. yeah. I, I have, you know, I wonder as well, like, it's, it's funny to me that in this, like, very lengthy, well, like, it's not funny, but, like, this very lengthy sort of, they do talk about it a little, but this very explainer, like, you know, mm. screen rant ending explained yeah. type of fucking tacked on thing <laughs> they don't go into like they go into a little bit the it's it's just so removed from how the movie started it's very yeah. funny they never call back like here was her motivation for running away here's like that's all just so discarded like that the setup doesn't even fucking matter anymore <laughs> it's all it's all about like it doesn't matter how logical and thought out your actions are if you're coming up against like this basically, how would you ever have guessed that this was the person you were staying with, right? Yeah, like, they get the t two or three answers of, like, yes, he killed her, Yeah, the money's in the swamp, and, like, that's that's it. Just that's like, it. Where it could have been a, like, is still on the border of, like, and that's why you don't rob from your boss, you know? <laughs> There's never any hint of that at all. Yeah. It's completely, like, she's, she's now the victim of, like, yeah, fuck. She yeah. couldn't have known, you know? It's just her bad behavior, quote-unquote, is completely not an issue. I do, just to, like, one final word on the psychologist, I absolutely hate... <laughs> it's so so funny and mean that um, uh, Rear Miles is like, so did did he kill my sister? Oh my and he God. goes, yes. yes. But then again, no. Yeah. She's like, just tell me my sister's alive, Do you, you work for the pool? Do you work here? Like... <laughs> I know, and he's sort of chuckling to himself. Yeah. Like, a woman dies, man. Like, are you gonna... <laughs> Two people are dead in a swamp. Oh, oh I, I'm i sorry, this is so far no. afield from... But something you said, the, the voyeurism layers of it. Yeah. There's one moment that I, that speaking of like kind of inappropriately chuckling about it, there's okay. one moment where right after he murders Marion... And is dumping the car in the swamp. It's it sort of stops sinking, and he like, uh oh, he has that little moment of like, oh no, is it gonna go down? And then like, beat, beat, and then and it starts sinking again. And we, the audience, kind of breathe a sigh of relief, where you're like, no, 
what the fuck? No. <laughs> what did you do to me, movie? How did you? Yeah. It really, like, the movie is fully about Norman at that point. Yeah, know? and I think the only reason it does work is, be, like, if... Well, no, no, it's funny. Going back and watching it again, knowing that it's him that killed her, you are still on his side for that brief moment. It's so odd. Like, I know. That, like, that, you're that covering knowledge, up a murderer. Like, yeah, that yeah. knowledge should wipe that out. Because the first watch, you're right. like, oh, he's just trying to do the best he can right now. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't want his mama to get yeah. in trouble, but... I know it still doesn't. Yeah, you're still you're still like, oh no, is it gonna sink? Oh, phew. <laughs> and like, how long is that? That what I will refer to as like passing the baton scene of him cleaning up the hotel room mm. and like just the most sus- suspenseful hotel room cleaning on record. Yeah. Like watching you. It's is he gonna find the money? Yeah, I guess. And it is funny how like I know my first watch. That's the thing. I'm like, oh no, she died. That's sad. <laughs> but like well, what about the money I tell me what's it. gonna happen like, right yeah yeah it is so crushing to see the money just get dumped in there it's it, passing the baton is a good way of putting it because that really like fully wipes out the idea that there's gonna be any evidence cause if if yeah. this was the last place she was seen and suddenly Norman has $40,000 that's an easy wrap up yeah nope like all trace of hope is gone. Yeah. Like the, that's just severed, and it's it's a very like he's playing with those tropes, right? Of like the thriller element is gone. It's just a, a horrifying crime that's happened. Like it's now a horror <laughs> yeah. movie, you yeah. know. And I like that's that. a perfect lead-in to start talking about the music. I think. Da-da-da. Yeah, if that's uh, okay by you, let's ta- start talking about Bernard Herrmann. I love the score. So if, yeah, if, if you don't know Bernard Herrmann, he's a titan of the industry. Big mm-hmm. reason why we know soundtracks as they are right now. Huge influence on, like, John Williams and yep. all of that, like, echelon, that generation of, of soundtrack writers, your, yeah. your horners and whatnot. Uh, if you know who, like, Charles Ives is and such, it's because of Bernard Herrmann. He's the guy that, like, championed all of these early American 20th century works. Literally oh. the reason Charles Ives got paid for any music ever is oh. because of Bernard Herrmann. Okay. Uh, he worked with Orson Welles a lot, so he just, like, oh, yes. he started in Orson Welles' radio shows and stuff. So he scored, like, uh, War of the Worlds and all that. So, like, he's he's very famous. He was a very famous guy. Yeah. Originally, Hitchcock requested uh, Herrmann write a jazz score for this movie. Oh. Which is so weird, but then you think about... This movie Maybe. is supposed to be the best version of a B movie. Is how a lot of people. I always it. think of this as like a, a, an episode of the Hitchcock show. Yeah, but yeah. longer. Yeah, where does, can see it. It's like a limited budget. There's only like two locations. Like all that really scaled down stuff. And yeah. you would always use jazz scores for that at the time. That's just what. It and was. it feels very like 40s noir of like oh a yeah. man and a woman. Like the movie opens on the like this midday you know tryst or whatever. Like yeah, you can see some saxophone for that. Sure. Yeah. But Herman is the best. He when they were starting to work through the movie and all that initially he was like nah I'm not gonna do it this sucks. Uh, <laughs> but then all right. I don't, something changed his mind where he's like, oh, I know what I want to do. I want to write a black and white score for this black and white movie. So that's like, I don't, it makes sense to me of this string, small string group, this really pared down thing where not that this type of movie existed before, but for these types of movies, you're used to hearing like a larger jazz group, maybe an orchestra at times. Sure. It's all big stuff to really highlight big moments. You needed like scale and like pomp and... Exactly. So this is like shortening everything, like dynamic range and and possibilities all down. Um, For those that uh, don't know this, I feel like this is a big reported trivia fact about the whole thing. The entire score is played with uh, mutes on, except for the murder scenes. So oh. the 
every bit that's happening, part of the way you get the sound of, as you described off the top, people just going whole hog on their instruments <laughs> and like it sounds bad. Like it sounds so scratchy, like it doesn't sound like it's being done with grace. Just, yeah, it sounds like they might not have learned their instruments all the way. Yeah. <laughs> but how you get that sound is mutes just deaden resonance. So you're just getting the immediate attack and nothing sustained. So it's right. cutting it out all of that. ring well. And because you're cutting out all of this resonance, you don't get as much of the... You, it cuts out high end is mostly what mutes do. Sure. So that when you take off the mutes and you start murdering somebody, <laughs> that that impacts super hard. So oh. that's just a cool... A cool little way of I like I I had no idea. Oh, about I think the music, but that actually makes a lot of sense. Like the the noise that is happening in the opening is is the sound of someone fighting to make their instrument sound as loud as normal yeah. when you have an impediment. Yeah. Like you you're yeah, actively fighting like the laws of physics. And that's that's what it is. That's why they yeah. have to go okay. so hard because you can't a mute's gonna like really cut down on how accented everything's going to sound off the top, and yeah, it's... And the, the, like, melding of the sound, right? The sound of, like, a nice, full, lush string orchestra or whatever, or even string quartet. It's going to it's gonna cut out some of that, like, harmoniousness. Yeah, you cut out a lot of the low range and a lot of the high range. It's all medium yeah. range stuff, so that when you get to the murders... It's kind of muddy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When you get to the murders, it's just so piercing and awful, and then right after the rate rate part, you get a lot of bass... In yes, there right. that has previously been muted, and it's suddenly really raw and like earthquakey. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So that's just like nice. his way of like that. You know, if you're assigning colors to it, the black version is uh, mutes on, very dark, and you can't see a lot. And the white version is take off those mutes and just reef on it. Yeah, murder someone. <laughs> yep. I love that too. It's like a you're telling the story one way mm-hmm. before the murder, and you're telling it a totally different way after the murder. And That's this great. is one of the reasons that I think that the handoff into Norman's story works so well mm. is the way that the score is set up is that by the time by the time Janet Lee has died, it's all new music. Like one hundred percent of all of the music is thrown out, with one exception. There's a montage that has the Sure, the sure. prelude bit in it, but I think that's literally. Uh, oh, we need to jam something in here. Uh, use that. And it's a very like it's a very callbacky kind of thing, right? It's yes. Arbogast trying to solve the original crime, which is she took off with the money. So a callback oh, yeah. to that music makes sense. And I think it works as like a reminder of like, oh yeah, I guess we started. Oh, in that's this what other people yeah, are still concerned about, I guess. But the idea here is that there is a full set of score for just Janet Lee's tiny little bit sure. with its own conventions that are 100% entirely separate from Norman Bates's music and everything that happens afterward. Makes sense. You start the movie and even you get the big prelude and then there's all of the music is going on downward lines after that. Mm. So think of like the pan across the city. You have lots of downward starting like high Like scaling range. down into, yeah. yeah. And after the murders, it all becomes really open-ended, just meandering in the middle and sure. going up, something that previously didn't exist. It's all oh. so simple, but yeah. like, part of Herman's stuff is he's very repetitive, so he just grind the patterns into your brain. <laughs> yeah, well, brains are pattern-recognizing machines. Yeah. Take advantage of that. Yeah, so let's talk about what happens in the first bit first. Let's do. Yeah. So the, I've talked about this before when we do like score talk on the, the pod, where Score talk. <laughs> your John Williamses, your Bernard Hermans, your your good like leitmotif composers are going to do the same thing off the top always, which is here's a microcosm of everything that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So the prelude, the opening here, this will get a little music theory. Don't worry, you don't need to know it. 
Um, but the first 10 seconds is setting up all of Marion's music, which is all this anxiety-producing, stringing mm-hmm. you along, suspense music. Very, like, you know, constant motion, forward, 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 keep running, keep running. No, And nothing... It doesn't fit into a key properly, is the yeah. your pattern brain will be picking up on that even if you don't know that completely. Sure. Yeah. And the way that he does this is by stacking minor and major thirds on top of each other for generally... Like Gross. general music stuff, minor is sad, major is happy. Right. Yeah. But if you stack them on top of each other, you get a thing called an augmented triad, augmented chords, things that don't naturally occur in a major or a minor key. You have to do, there's a little bit of futzing around with that. I'm just being general. Yeah. So <laughs> I can see your face that you're like, king head. <laughs> my, my one semester of like advanced theory kicked in. I was like, well, actually, Nick, if you look at <laughs> Shut the fuck up, nerd. So let's listen to the first like 15 seconds Ooh, of the prelude. Yes. The first 15 seconds has the opening chum chum chords, our augmented uh, triad stacked on top of each other. Oh, sure. And like you're it's too it's too compressed there's no way your brain is actually pulling this apart but all it's doing is unsettling you and then the following bit is major and minor thirds on top of each other in this little do you do you that the violins have it's major then minor thirds that's what's happening in that little figure Mm, again too fast to pick up on but it's repeated so much that your pattern brain is starting to go like okay this is what we're dealing with this thing that doesn't exist in a key regularly so here we go This is like queuing you up, and you hear yeah. this so much over and over. Yes. You do not have a choice. This is tension music. Yeah. Um, but Herman is a good composer, and he pulls it apart for you even more. When we get to Marion on her, uh, putting her suitcases together to run away with the music, we get a cue. It's called Temptation in the soundtrack, if you feel like listening at home. Mm. Um, but it comes back a few times when Marion's like, just generally feeling anxious. There's nothing big action happening. Okay. But uh, the temptation cue is just minor and major thirds repeating over and over. Okay. And it's, again, it's something that doesn't happen in a stable key. So it's there to just unsettle you. It's something that, uh, this is that same material really slowed down pretty much. Mm, okay. In terms of, like, intervals. <laughs> So that's 10 seconds of that cue, and that cue is just that material in different Mm. spots in the key over and over. Yeah. And you're just, it's putting in your brain like, oh, this is not settled. We haven't, like, arrived at anywhere yet. Nothing has been resolved, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and it's a thing that can't resolve either, The doing this major and minor thing. You have to pick one, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's not a matter of, like, and here's how they'll fit together. They will never fit together. Yeah, by virtue of how music theory is set up, it can, literally, there is no function This is physics again, yeah. Yeah. This is literally the physics of sound. They can't coexist. Uh, Augmented chords can resolve, though, so there is the hope that resolution (laughs) will come at some point. Um, But a great play on, like... Oh, she might turn it around. No, murdered in a swamp. All right. <laughs> but the great thing, so this first, like, when does she die? It's like 30 minutes in, right? It's crazy early, yeah. But until then, as we've talked about, she's on the run, but nothing's really happened yet. Like, no. everything is up in the air. Like, she hasn't committed fully to a course. Like, she hasn't gotten to Sam and been like, now we're on the run. And she's, oh, okay, I'll go back. Like, it's all this ephemeral, 
we're just in playing around with stealing people's money and meeting a murderer. Um, it really, it's never like, it's a done deal. Oh no, and then I forgot something. Like she yeah. she sees her boss on her drive out of town <laughs> and he like identifies her and looks her in the eyes. Like she's never feeling good about this plan. Yeah. And the we get a bit of that cue too when Norman's watching her mm, as yes. well. And that's the last time we hear some of her material. Because as soon as she's killed, none of this is ever coming back. It's gone forever. And I love the function of all of this music because it's, all it's doing is stringing us along tension-wise. It just keeps not resolving and not resolving and not resolving. Yeah. And the strings are wailing on their really fast music as she's driving. So we've got different speeds, but it's all just the same material repeated over and over. Right. And then Norman wipes, wipes it out, Yeah. basically, is what we get. And I love there's a handoff scene of this musical material and it's going into the parlor. Oh, okay. All right. So we've heard her music as we arrive here and all that. Um, and we hear her music afterward when sure. she's alone in the hotel room. But the parlor scene only has his music. Music. Mm. It's the introduction of his material. Okay. And Maybe I that's th- why it's so unsettling to me. It's like something else is happening something here. Something new has arrived. Yes. It's yeah. really str- and all these ominous things of like the birds and the shadows and talking about taxidermies. Just, yeah. Just <laughs> some of the shit he says is just like, mm, it's a good thing you're disarming because oh boy but it while the material is different i'll play a bit of it in a second the motives of of norman's music is very different it's all done the same way it's all muted strings it's all in roughly the same ranges sure so it's this is one of those ways of like we're doing a handoff in the soundscape to a brand new thing and i think that's one of the reasons that the the handoff that happens when marion has died it works so well because when norman's cleaning stuff up it's his music playing again. Right. So you you have this like, okay, Marion's music first, introduce Norman's, Marion's music again, then Norman's music. And it's yeah. this like, we're feeding you this new scenario that's been like... It's not just a hard stop. And... Yeah, it's a dovetailing that happens. Mm, yes. Like kind of subconsciously that's happening to you. So here's how Norman's material gets introduced. And I love this so much. It is so creepy. I'll play this, <laughs> the uh, bit of the scene and okay. then I'll isolate the music for us. So here okay. is the scene where it happens. Wouldn't it be better if you put her someplace? You mean an institution? A madhouse? People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? Put her in someplace. Nice. It's terrifying is what? that the first time that me- that music happens? yes oh is. dear oh he dear he is leaning into the camera frame he's this is one of so the first focused. times that i'm like uh-oh there's something wrong with him like you know that he actually gets mad yeah and he is very visibly upset so here is that yeah. same cue just like cranked just so that we can hear what's going on a oh, little sure. bit better So what we've got is just like an atonal line moving about melodically, but we have that gronk, gronk, gronk yeah. happening over and over, and it just becomes part of the score. It's underlying like everything going forward. Yeah. And um, it's the last thing we hear, I think, it too, is, right? Yeah. yeah. The thing that I love about this, though, that those three notes, that burr, 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 yeah. the first and last note, what does that make? That makes a little minor third, and we finally like landed on something solid. 
There isn't oh. <laughs> any. There isn't like a version of that theme that plays with a major third. Right, 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 right. Always a minor third going forward. We've decided it's sad. And now we know what this movie is about. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, so that 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 those three notes I think of as it's like Norman's mm. light motif or like it's the madness. Yes. Well, he. It, Cuts in when he says a madhouse, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. And every time it's happening up until the end, it's about that level like we heard in the scene where it's pretty quiet and under it. Mm. And then I'll play the ending here for us just to like double down on it. Okay. Because it doesn't resolve still. Usually at the end credits of something, even if it's really hacky, you have, you know, whatever material plays. And then you'll have just like cadence, like a big chord that says Resolution. like, we've done it. Movie it's over. End. Yeah. And instead we get this fucking shit. And they'll say... Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. No resolution for you. None. (laughs) It's so creepy. It is so creepy. I absolutely love that, like, it's this thing of, this is why I love Herman, where he's a lesser composer would be like, and the tradition is we... We got him. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. But like, Norman's story is not resolved. He's no, screwed forever. No, he's still forever. just there. Yeah. yeah. He's being tormented, like, as long as he lives. That'll yeah. be his thing. Sequels uh, notwithstanding. Yeah, exactly. Which, never seen. We should, I feel like... I feel, feel like we should do them. We'll dive in at some He, he directed one of them, right? Yeah, I think Anthony the last Perkins? one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to see just what where where yeah. they decide to take this stuff. Yes. But those three notes pop up everywhere in music. That motive mm. in film scores as a tribute to Bernard Herrmann. Really? Yeah, they are surprisingly everywhere. Like I, I there are so many examples that I couldn't find a way to limit it to just one because it's it's a fleeting thing. It happens yeah. like for one moment, like f- three notes in one score and a composer would be like, yeah, I just threw that in because I like Bernard Herrmann. Um, but the one that's part of my childhood, I'm just going to play it here for you and see okay. if you can tell what this is from. Oh, all right. Boy, it's lucky you had these compartments. I'm losing for smuggling. I never thought I'd be smuggling myself in This is ridiculous. Even if I could take off, I'd never get past the tractor beam. Leave that to me. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> uh, and the great thing about that, and this might be a slightly apocryphal story, but usually, you know, for editing and such, you have temp tracks that you edit to. Yeah. And then the music gets written and you plug it in. Right. The people plugging the temp scores into... So that's Star Wars, in case... Yeah, right. Yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention that part. <laughs> that's uh, episode four, A New Hope. This is as they're arriving on the Death Star and they're uh, hiding okay. in the compartments so that the stormtroopers don't see him. Right. And Han goes on to say... I, this is crazy. I never thought I'd be smuggling myself in these compartments. Right. And the temp track person put in a Bernard Her- Herman bit from Psycho in there to be like, oh, because he's it's crazy. Like it's a crazy <laughs> idea and mad. <laughs> <laughs> Separately, John Williams writes the score. Oh, shut didn't up! Didn't hear the temp track that they had that they were editing by, and the soundtrack, the the temp track. I asked him like, oh, why did you put that in? He's like, oh, because I love like Bernard Herman is the guy that made me want to write music and. Uh, film, film music and madness so there you go and they just had like a hearty handshake is like we did it good job sir <laughs> but it that... pops up in a lot of um herman's other scores i know like taxi driver it's in there and, and a oh. bunch of others oh i always forget he did that yes yeah, another movie about like are you on the guy who's going crazy's side what is this about yeah 
yeah. clearly you're not, but we're kind of living life from his perspective. So, yeah. yeah. But I, so shit. that's all I've got to say about the score. I love it. It is not a terribly complex score by any means. That's the best, though. It's just... And it matches the movie, because it's not a terribly complex movie once you know the layout of it. It's yeah. just like, okay. <laughs> In terms of point A to point B, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, and yeah. it's very small. Like, that's the... Chamber drama. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so uh, I guess that's my way of saying I really like Bernard Herrmann. As you should. <laughs> and as should everyone. And as we move to wrapping up here, one fun fact, this is the first movie to feature a flushing toilet on camera. Oh, I knew that. Yeah, that's right. Was this another Hays Code thing? Yes. Where it's like, it's indecent. Yeah. They thought it was disgusting. So. I don't, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very clean toilet. That was part of the thing. It has to be a clean toilet. Yeah. Literally written down in the code. Oh my God. <laughs> so dorky. Anyway, just to undercut all my soundtrack stuff, just want to mention toilet. Also, turlet. <laughs> So I would love to hear your final thoughts on Psycho here before we move on to Double Bill, this thing. I mean, I just really like the, uh, it, uh, I like that you mentioned about, like, who did audiences think the Psycho was exactly? Because mm. it's this very, like, I mean, I'm leading into, I'm sort of leading into my movie a little bit, but oh, like. That's fine. Present, lay the groundwork for your yeah. claims. <laughs> <laughs> not, not really, but some, some elements of this, but the, it's got that very claustrophobic feel to it and. I, the thing that's so fascinating to me, and again, I f wish I could have experienced it from mm. the, like, social and, you know, art context of the time, but it's got this very, like, it, it was released in 1960, second wave feminism was, like, just around the corner, mm. and, like, you know, in the 50s, men had returned from war and were, like, taking back the jobs that women had and were, like, booting them back to the home, and, you know... There's this very this very interesting Hitchcock casting pretty blondes is its own <laughs> thing, but as we mentioned, he's a little pervert. Yeah, <laughs> and but it's it's interesting that in particular, two out of three of like the well, like arguably three out of four of the main quote unquote characters in this are women of varying social statuses and varying, like, familial relationships. And they're the ones pushing the plot forward, I think. Yeah, yeah Norman is very much like a passive... You can you can cast him as a victim here, for sure. Mm. But he's a reactionary. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got that tension of, like, well, the thing that started out this whole movie was her deciding to be like, fuck social expectations, mm. I'm running off to marry my divorced boyfriend. Mm. Like, just the craziest thing, you know? <laughs> I'm stealing from, like, a pillar of the community and, and a job creator. <laughs> <laughs> Won't someone think of the job creators? <laughs> um, and so you can cast her as the, the unstable element there. Mm. But then you've got this other side of, like, can you fucking blame her? Because if this sort of thing where, like, Norman murdered his mother because she was no longer going to be just a mother. He was yeah. realizing that she had other roles outside of being <laughs> a mother. And, like, that was unacceptable for him and broke him and got her killed. Yep. And so it's this very funny, like, tension between those two things of, like, you can't you can't buck tradition and like it's it's bad quote it's never it never paints her as like a, the villain for no, sure no and i think um, that it helps that the her sister is the one that is just like pushing and pushing to get answers and solves everything in the totally end. Yes. like hey it's not a bad thing when a woman has yeah. an opinion <laughs> <laughs> and wants to get shit done about uh, it um, but then it's got this like 
you know, if she had sort of settled down and known her place and whatever. And Pat Hitchcock is in this, Hitchcock's yeah. daughter, as her, like, her colleague at the real estate place. I love Pat. She's always she's so funny. so funny. <laughs> she's such a sport. And she's got this very, like, settling down and, like, kind of settling for her fiancé vibe to it of, like, finally I can just be a housewife. Mm. And is that going to happen to her? I in feel the like future? she's, yeah, you know what her I mean? desk is oriented looking right at Pat Hitchcock's character yeah. in the opening scenes. That's got a bit of like, this is what my future's going to be. True. No. Oh, God. And it's just, it's very, it's a it's a fun little interplay of like, you know, if you're going to put women under pressure, here's here's some ways that could turn out. And like, the movie's not about feminism or, or like women in the home or whatever, but it's not in, it's not, not informing that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's playing around in that in that zeitgeist because I mean, yeah. <laughs> like you said, Hitchcock is not a guy who will ever uh, come to win any <laughs> uh, feminism awards, Woman of the Year awards, or anything. Yeah. But it, I feel like it's a you can't help but have that seep in. Yeah. To, to Honestly, work. for a woman who gets stabbed to death in the shower <laughs> while nude, surprisingly, like it sees women as people. The horrifying thing mm. about that scene is that she had. This whole, like, she was right in the middle of a crucial time in her life, and yeah. now that just doesn't matter. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oof. It's a, it's an interesting read. Like, it's just a neat, and you don't even need to clock into that at all to enjoy the movie, but it's a, an interesting, like, tension in it. Mm-hmm. Hey. Nice. I just like that. I like that, too. So it's, it, I, I like that it sort of paints the instigators of the plot as, whole people just mm. either trying their best or like trying not to engage and do the right you know what i mean yeah they're whole characters and it's not just a they're, they're not yeah. the, the plot device they're a, no they're yeah. not cardboard cutouts for sure mm. it'd be a real crazy thing to see at the time <laughs> anyway. yeah and masks it over with being like look at a pretty lady in a bra yeah <laughs> all the men's brains are going haywire <laughs> <and they> can't. <laughs> it's jokes on you Sliding a, a lesson in there. Anyway, <laughs> what about you? Uh, well, this is one of those cases of obviously I'll have said how much the twists worked on me and mm. how it is just like a fun as hell popcorn movie. Um, but the the thing that I love the most about it is, and I've mentioned this about a lot of things, I love when you can find a single flashpoint for foundational, like, oh, and then this made it, so that every other movie is about this movie. Yes, right. Um, so seeing that in action, and sometimes you see some of those foundational bits, and it is like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see how this gets extrapolated into that. But this feels so clear in what it's mm. communicating that everybody is trying to uh, imitate. And that could be a case of it's such a streamlined little movie, and it doesn't allow for that much subtlety. <laughs> or or it's just people trying to, like, I want to get that thrill again. People chasing yeah, the dragon. I can see that. Um yeah, so I I love it for that, and I get it completely. I I, I could see seeing this in 1960, like, oh, that's what I want to do all the time. I want to make yeah. people have that reaction to what's happening. 100%. Yeah. Um, but I also, like, it's got some of the earliest stuff of seeing people on the fringe acting in a way that you wouldn't expect. And that, to me, is Norman... That's Marion, like people that you're saying that you don't normally see the human toll of these th- mm, these yeah. acts happening. Um, that are usually people just painted with a single brush to get the plot moving or whatever. Yes, it just feels like a great version of that that gets missed in so many copycat versions. 
that it is just like, oh, I want to get to the part where it's the shower scene again, so I'm just going to write this cliche a couple times and then away you go. But the reason that that lands so well is because Marion is built up as this whole character before. Exactly, yeah. And it's astounding and tragic and, like, unthinkable that so that the, just doesn't matter anymore. Uh, yeah, the fact that this is the foundational item that all these other movies extrapolate from, but it does it better than everything that follows yeah. is such an interesting take on it to me. Because we're used to the idea of, like, consistent evolution, progress, rolling forward new things and it's like no no one can get the magic back it doesn't work <laughs> this happens all the time right with like real cultural touchstones yeah. where there will be you know 20 imitators out in the next five years and yeah. none of them get what it was that worked yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fine so that's what i like I'm big on that. I agree with you. Um, so you set the stage for your double bill that we're going to talk about now. Sort of. So let's, uh, the stage is yours, and it's Thank also you. all the world, so. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> well, I'm going to pair this with another, like, spooky movie that also takes place at Christmas. I just want to throw it out oh, there yeah. that technically Psycho takes place, like, during Christmas time. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, oh, that's right. <laughs> Everything is a Christmas movie, people. Um, This is a great entry in the somewhere that should be like a safe place and turns it unsafe, really undermines your sense of being able to let your guard down. Mm, Okay. Um, And it, it really plays well with this very Hitchcock idea of not realizing that you're walking into danger. Yeah. Like a lot of his protagonists... Uh, tend to be in the thriller category of his tend to be you know innocent bystanders that accidentally get swept up in this problem or Mm -hmm. whatever you know falsely accused or they were framed or this sort of I, I couldn't I have no control over like the danger that I'm in and I can't get myself out and <laughs> and this this does that really well of like I I couldn't even have you thought like the scale of this was going to happen to me kind of thing yeah like the disconnect of A to B yeah yeah and there is also a cop who like you know is trying to do their job but ultimately just completely underestimates <laughs> the problem um, I guess Harbogast's not a cop he's a private investigator but whatever yeah. a cop figure yeah. so I'm going to pair this with Black Christmas yeah that's what I thought it was going yeah, to be yeah nice. for how you're describing it yep. uh, uh. so it is a Bob Clark movie from 1974 and it's also one of these very foundational like a, a very you know early slasher type thing mm-hmm. um, in, in the way of like slashers as we know them today where like a group of co-eds gets murdered yep. one by one type of thing <laughs> that version of slashers yeah so it's it's a bunch of again uh, all almost all the main characters are women yep and it's them being like, okay, well, fuck the, you know, the tradition or the, the, what's the word I'm trying to think of here? The tropes. Trope, yeah. Of like damsel in distress or whatever. Each of these, it's a, a sorority house that they're all slowly going home for Christmas and start getting picked off and like don't realize that people are going missing or can't convince law enforcement that people are going missing because it's like well she probably just took off without telling you you guys had a fight right so she's probably Mm. mad at you or like just that kind of dismissal of of things that creates you know the the situation where this this problem can thrive Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm gonna do that it's it's a real like yeah foundational 
document for but it's so it's so trashy in it a is. great way like it's super trashy it's not trying to pretend it's not no. it's just like i want to do this thing <laughs> yeah but it's not like it's trashy but it's not exploitative in the same way it's earnestly trashy yeah there yeah. you go yeah and it does have like the john saxon character in it is oh, the one cop who actually tries to help and and listens and mm. he's the arbogast in this right where it's just like Cops can't stop this guy. You have no fucking like frame of reference for what this guy is trying to do. And it's just a psychopath wandering yeah. around and, and murdering the women. But like in this set of rules that he has, you know, yeah. he'll only kill them if X, Y, Z. And then he has a ritual that he follows afterwards where he, he like calls the house to brag basically that he murdered them. And there's a lot of elements of voyeurism in that one too. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the scariest fucking shots in any movie is you just oh, suddenly... Eye between like the crack where a door meets the the door door frame you can see this horrible eye staring out at you and it's it's just this idea of like what if someone was watching you in your house right now and it's almost stupid now because (laughs) so much of horror is based around that but it's because it's so effective it's subverting what you thought was a safe place Mm -hmm. and I, I, that's the thing that stands out for Psycho to me is like, you have so much other shit going on. You thought this was going to be the one safe place. (laughs) And all of these students in Black Christmas have this very, like, one of them is pregnant and wants to get an abortion and her boyfriend doesn't want her to. And so he's kind of eyed as a suspect because he's like mad at her for misogyny reasons. And, (laughs) and like, there's just a lot of, and it just comes down to someone has... It's almost unresolved in that same way where it's like Very someone much, yeah. had a fucked up family upbringing <laughs> and now murders women as a yeah. result. Like those those are the villains in both cases and he just lives there and like he's a part of the the house and just he'll he'll never leave like the specter is always there. And it's got that final shot which is just one of the most chilling things I've seen in a movie <laughs> where the final girl, you know, spoilers for Black Christmas, I guess. The final girl is like on bed rest in the house where all the murders are committed and they think Everything. they've got the guy. Yeah. And it pans away and sort of floats over the the attic door where we know that the killer has come from before. And as we get an external shot of the house, the phone starts to ring, mm. which is what's happened after every murder. And it just keeps ringing and ringing. And it is that that final shot of like... The problem isn't gone. Yeah. You know? So there you go. That's what I'm going to pair it with. It's a good one. It's been a long time since I've thought about Black Christmas. Mm. Go back and. You're welcome. One of our favorite Canadian exports. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Real good. Bob Clark is. Oh. Bob Clark is very much credited with like inventing or honing like very common aspects of the slasher movie. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, you've obviously got Psycho, but you get Halloween and Black Christmas and that's your like... Those are those are the two, the two. big ones. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nice, 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 nice. It's over to you. Thank you so much. Uh, mine isn't holiday-based, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> it's okay, I got discovered. But uh, I'm taking the tack of like that voyeurism aspect, but also a foundational thriller of sorts. Sure. So this feels... I can't... I'm having trouble, like, making this connection articulate, but I hope that you'll help me find it. For one thing, I'm excited that I've now 100%ed all of Satoshi Khan's uh, movies (laughs) as double bills on Uh this podcast. All right. I want to pair this with Perfect Blue from 1997. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, if you don't, this is the little blurb. A retired pop singer turned actress's sense of reality is shaken when she is stalked by an obsessed fan 
and seemingly a ghost of her past. Right. So it's just, that's real open-ended thriller shit. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> that could be any one of 20 movies currently out. Yeah, but they're both thrillers about, like, how you cannot avoid some level of voyeurism in society if mm. you're just a person living around you will be watched that's just what's gonna happen yeah again um, and again like there are you know unspoken social rules in place but yep. no one's there to enforce them yeah if somebody breaks them then like what do you do you have no recourse yeah they, they're also like framed around identity crises and killers that want to like that are so in conflict with their reality that they're trying to like kill to break their way out Kind of. Yeah. Um, and that element of, like, it has to go back to the way it was before. I have to keep everything the same, and, like, I yeah. refuse to move forward. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So there's, a yeah, an emotional stuntedness to, yeah. to all that stuff. Um, but the reason that it's, like, coming, this connection that I want to make is that they're both, the craft of them both is so amazing, mm. and they're, they set, like, a new foundational tone for uh, movies that weren't really that respected in, like, mainstream society. <laughs> like perfect, animated movies? Yeah, perfectly being anime in the late 90s, which that had a real, for North American uh, mm. audiences, that had a real connotation of, like, this is for dumb babies and high school students. <laughs> this like, is for 14-year-old sex pests. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So this was, like, obviously not engineered to go against that but it was a real like holy shit you can do like really interesting stuff with this framework you could make an art with it yeah and take using the craft to just push the genre forward in a medium that it just hadn't before so like there are yeah. so many perfect blue imitators there's so many satoshi khan imitators like mm. i for one was alarmed to see that darren aronofsky's uh, entire career is basically uh, <laughs> stealing from Perfect Blue. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, Black Swan is probably the closest you're gonna get in terms of, like, an immediate, oh, I see what this movie is about, like, one-to-one. -one. Black Swan literally has shot-for-shot -shot remakes it of does. Perfect Blue, too. Yeah. It's just such a, like, It's an oh. artist being like, oh my god, I can't take the pressure. Yeah. Am, I, am I safe? Like, in my own brain? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like I'm not saying anything out of school. Darren Aronofsky admits that yeah, he, he does, has yeah. fully plagiarized 100. <laughs> like, oh yeah, of I just movie. take from those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's because it's a very good movie to take from. Movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's got that like extra level of like you can tell there's some weird perversion happening, but they never really spell it out exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's there for sure. Um, but breaking the the filmic tradition, like obviously Psycho is killing your main character in the yeah. first bit. Yeah. And the back half of Perfect Blue is such a like, oh, this is different from everything. Like this is wholly untethered from... It's got that same destabilizing yeah. thing where it's like, am I meant to be, like, la latching onto any of this? Like, mm. I'm as freaked out as the main character is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... Nice. Go watch Perfect Blue. And I mean, at this point, I have... Satoshi Khan had four <laughs> uh, feature-length movies out there. I have now plugged them into every... I think possible. you might have also done his TV show. Did you no, do Paranoia? No, you brought it up a bunch. Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Which, It's also very good. Yeah, go watch that. Yeah. Um, so I guess what I, this is now the par the propaganda for Satoshi Khan portion of this podcast <laughs> is now complete. Check. <laughs> we'll just be cycling through them all for yes. the rest of time. No, that's great. That's such a like the voyeurism is the mm. like crucial connective tissue there for sure. Yeah, that's great. Nice. Yeah, so go watch these movies. I actively want to watch both Black Christmas and Perfect Blue now that I've we've had this conversation. Cue them up. Tis the season, I say. Indeed. We've got some lame rain, which will slowly transition into lame snow, <laughs> and that'll be the time. That's what it's all about. Yep, it was yep. shot, was it shot at U of T? 
Black Christmas? I yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it totally was. Yes, yeah. that's right. Rec- you can. It's, it's not all recognizable because some of the buildings have been torn down and such, but it is. It's pretty Very recognizable. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Local boy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bab. Thanks, Bab. Uh, and thanks you, listener, for listening to this episode. Uh, I hope that you will join us in the future. Please come and uh, rate our podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us at GartBitchPod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can follow Aaron at... Macklebase, M-A-C-L-E-B-A-S-S. And you can find me at Dick R. Navis on Twitter as well. And that's our first spooky movie wrapped up for this month. Look forward to... More of them! And please join us next time for another pile of garbage. Uh, have you uh, had a fellow stop by there tonight? Private detective. Name of. Arbogast. Arbogast.